I'm thankful that we can come together as a church. We, you know, we're messy people, right? We got some struggles, not all perfect, none of us perfect, right? But that's the beauty of what the church is. We, we come with all of our mess, we bow together at the feet of Jesus. We sing our hearts out in the grace that we've received through Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about gathering like this every time we come together. It's, it's like that. We are the people that God has been gathering by the way of mercy. You know, we didn't, we didn't have anything in common apart from the mercy of Jesus. So at the risk of being cheesy for a second, would you just look at your neighbor and say this? You are a trophy of God's grace. Go ahead. Yes, okay, that was exactly as cheesy as I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It's true. It's true. You are a trophy to the grace of God. None of us is special, but each of us are signposts pointing to the power and goodness of a great Redeemer. So speaking of Redeemer, let me just take two minutes and encourage you to make an effort next week. Uh, one of our partner churches is Redeemer Church in Oxford. And next week they're celebrating 10 years as a church. And uh, they've invited us to come and be a part of a Sunday evening gathering celebration. And uh, it's going to be awesome. If you remember, it was almost four years ago we hit our 10 year mark. And what a celebration that was. We praise God for, for 10 years of gospel ministry through Redeemer Church in Oxford. He's building his kingdom all over the place. And this is a beautiful opportunity for us as a church to uh, demonstrate that we're not a part of the competitive church culture. We are partners with gospel preaching churches and we want them to grow and thrive and be successful. We are not against them. We're for them. So I want to encourage you next week, 6 p.m. to go. Uh, it'll be great. And also I've committed us to bring tea and lemonade. So we need to, we need, you know, we need to show up. Um, no, I, I really do hope you'll come. It's going to be good. All right, we're back in the book of Judges today. So uh, last time we looked at Gideon, the, the life of Gideon and uh, the leadership of Gideon. He was a, a weak and fearful man, insecure, unstable, constantly needing a sign from God to build his confidence. And yet God used him to rescue Israel from the Midianites. So God can take our weakness, shows us his strength through it. We also saw how um, Gideon points us to the true and better. And uh, we'll see the same thing today. We, uh, we noted in the book of Judges that it, it, it follows the, the story of Joshua. and covers about 350 years of history between Joshua's leadership and the first king of Israel, which was King Saul. So about 350 years there, the people didn't know who their leader was. They had a, a great leader in Joshua. And when he died, they were sort of at a loss for what to do. So Judges follows the up and down cycle of the people of God. And uh, what we see is that they are rescued and they're thankful. They praise God and they're faithful to God. Until they're not. And then this cycle repeats itself through the book of Judges about seven times. 
It usually consists of some variety of this pattern. So if you didn't write it down last week, here it is again for you. Write this down because this is a pattern that is is seen in in the people in the book of Judges, but it's also seen in your life and my life. So you need to know kind of what's coming. Here's the pattern. Rebellion. We rebel against God and decide we don't want to do it His way. We want to do it our way. When we do that, the next cycle is ruin. Because God's way is best and our way is flawed and messy at best. And it, disobedience and sin always results in consequences. So life feels ruined. We follow the pattern of the people of Israel and usually, in many cases, they repent of their sin. They come to God, they cry out to Him, Lord, forgive us, we're sorry, we've sinned against You, we're we're desperately in need of Your help. And then God comes in with rescue, right? He sends a judge and that's the, the story we're seeing unfold is these different leaders, about 12 of them are raised up to lead to rescue. And at the end of the cycle of that judge, the people experience rest because in God we have rest. Well, then you know what happens? They become comfortable and complacent, a bit apathetic. And what happens? Relapse. Relapse. Uh, And I use that word intentionally because it's connected, I think, with the idea of addiction. And the truth is this. All of us struggle with our own addictions to sin. We're addicted to what we want rather than what God wants. And we tend to go through this same cycle of rebellion and ruin, repentance and rescue, rest, and then relapse. So when we read the book of Judges, we ought to read it with warning in mind that we ought to not be like the people of Israel. We also ought to see it with teaching in mind in that God sends a rescuer. But every rescuer God sends through the book is insufficient. None of them do uh, the job completely. They're all pointing to someone else. And so today we come to the last judge in the book. His name is Samson. Uh, Quick quiz for you. Ready? Shout out. I want to give you, um, I'm going to say his name. I want you to shout out one word that comes to your mind. You ready? Samson. Now why did you all say hair? Wow. Hair. Okay, well. Strength, that's a good one. I like that. What else? Mm. I was waiting on somebody to say Delilah. Right on. Okay, so we got strength, Delilah, and then hair. That's a pretty good summary of the story. Um, Samson's story is given four chapters, and he's given the most detail of all the judges in the book. While Gideon was a weak man that God made strong and courageous, Samson is quite the opposite. He was born to be a strong deliverer, but his great strength was actually his weakness. And he had to be humbled in order for the Lord to use him to deliver. Now, the book of Judges um, takes us down a a dark path. It leads us uh, to see one of the phrases that's repeated through this book is this phrase, and it actually ends the book. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, when we first hear that expression, it sounds good. Everyone did what was right until that last phrase in his own eyes. Let me ask you something. 
When you do what is right in your own eyes, who is your God? You are. Now, if you don't know it already, you may be a decent human being, but you are a terrible God. We are created to live in joyful obedience to the one true God. And only then will we know real joy that is full and real pleasure that lasts. So the book of Judges, like I said, is a dark slide into disobedience. Some of the worst portraits of depravity in human history. Um, The last few chapters after Samson are the darkest in the whole book. But this is the Bible. Do you know it? it doesn't soften or sugarcoat history? It doesn't make our brokenness look pretty. It just puts it out there. These scriptures are good for us. They're hard to read, but they're good for us. They warn us of the subtle dangers of our sin. They warn us of the danger of compromise. In Samson, we see the shadow of a great hero. He's a man with great potential, but he is utterly ruined by his pride and his passions. We see the great mercy of God to redeem and use him anyway. That's the work of the gospel in each of us, isn't it? Aren't we all ruined and yet redeemed? So Samson points us to a true hero, one who truly has great strength, not just over thousands and thousands of men, but over the dark powers of evil, over death itself. He doesn't just defeat our enemies out there. He reveals that our true enemy is in here. And he's the only hero that can save us from ourselves. Of course, we're talking about the true and better Samson. And his name is? Okay, we'll try that one more time. His name is? All right, good deal. So that's who we're talking about. All right, you've found your place in Judges 13, I hope. Would you stand to your feet? We're just going to read some portions because it is four chapters. So we stand because um, this is God's word, and we just want to stand to honor the Lord and his word. I want to read just some portions of scripture to us today, and then we'll, we'll walk through the story together. Judges 13. We'll pick it up right at the beginning. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, this is the pattern. Remember, they rebel against God. He allows them to slide into ruin. And then he sends a rescuer. So verse two, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. He and his wife or his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband. All right, let's pause there. This, this chapter has given us great detail, right, about Samson's parents, 
The rest of the chapter is telling us about how they fear the Lord and they make an offering to him. Look with me at verse 19. I love this phrase. Um, So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. Look at this phrase to the one who works wonders. Isn't that great? Oh, I love that. They were so excited that God was blessing them with a son. And he is the God who works wonders. Amen. All right. Go down just a few more verses. We'll just read a few more aloud together. And the woman, this is in uh, verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahene Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. (laughs) Mm. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. Now look at this, for she is right in my eyes. Mm. All right, so we're seeing Samson is beginning to outgrow the loving authority of his parents and the authority of his God. There's great hope for this boy, great anticipation for him. This is one whose amazing birth is announced by angels, but now we're beginning to see he's actually not that unlike the sinful people he's been sent to rescue. He is driven by his desires, controlled by the lust of his eyes. But listen, we need a rescuer who doesn't need to be rescued, right? One who perfectly obeys God and powerfully defeats the enemy and permanently saves his people. We need Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you alone have all power as we read the story of one of the Bible's superheroes, if you will. We see that it's really you who empowered Samson. As we look at Samson's life today, would you teach us more of who you are? Expose more of who we are and why we need you. And Lord, lead us to trust fully in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit. Would you be our teacher today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What I want to do is just walk through the story sort of in summary fashion. And as we go, I want to highlight some of the major themes, the major sort of headlines of Samson's story. There's four chapters. We're obviously going to miss some detail, but I do want to hit some of the big moments. So if you're taking notes with me, the first um, spot we'll talk about is his special birth. Samson's birth story is amazing. It's actually only one of seven stories like it in the Bible. Do you know that? Seven birth stories like this in the Bible. Can you think of some other ones? The first one, we've talked about a few already. Oh, Moses, that's right. Let's try to take them in order. We've got, okay, before him, who? Well, you're right, Isaac. So Abraham and Sarah... 
They've struggled to have a baby. Sarah and Abraham are both very, very old. God promised them a baby. And then 20 something years later, the promised son, Isaac, is born. He's the promised child. He was almost sacrificed, but God provided a ram for him. Remember? Well, the next story of an of a, uh, amazing birth happens with Isaac and Rebekah. They, too, are unable to get pregnant. But eventually they have twin boys. You remember who they were? Jacob and Esau. It was actually Esau and then Jacob, right? Jacob, the second born. But it was through the second born son, Jacob, that God promised to bring a nation. So an amazing birth. And Jacob's name was changed in a divine wrestling match to Israel. And it's through him that the nation of Israel was born. Moses is the third, right? He is born in the middle of a time when the Pharaoh is trying to kill all the babies. Moses' mother hid him out in the tent for as long as she could, a few months. And then she, with more faith than I can imagine, lays this baby in a little basket and floats him down the Nile River. And the baby that was going to be killed by Pharaoh is welcomed into his home. (laughs) Right? Becomes a grandson to the Pharaoh and is raised up in Pharaoh's house, eventually to be the deliverer of Israel from slavery in Egypt. These are amazing birth stories, right? And then we come to Samson. Samson's mother and father are pretty obscure characters in the Bible. But they are barren, unable to have children. And an angel appears. And what does the Bible say? What kind of angel is this? It's the angel of the Lord, isn't it? And we've talked about who that is in most cases in the scripture. That is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. So can you imagine Christ coming and announcing the birth of a baby who is to be a strong redeemer of his people? Jesus is um, foreshadowing his own birth, isn't he? Well, Samson's born and he uh, ultimately rescues from the Philistines. And then the next one is Samuel. Famous story. Hannah is a, a woman who longed to be a mother. She's there in the temple praying and the priest comes, Eli comes, he sees her praying, thinks she's drunk but she's just mouthing words. And she's not drunk, but she's praying to God and she's asking for the Lord to remember her, to open her womb, give her a child. And the priest says, may the Lord bless you and remember you. And uh, she and her husband conceive and they have a baby and the baby's name is Samuel and he's a great prophet dedicated to the Lord. The next one is a long time away. John the Baptist. Number six is John the Baptist. If you remember Elizabeth and Zechariah, much like Abraham and Sarah were old and barren. Elizabeth unable to have a child. She was an old woman. Zechariah was a priest. The Lord opened Elizabeth's womb and Zechariah couldn't believe it. He was doubtful. He couldn't believe it so much that the Lord even silenced him, shut his mouth, couldn't speak throughout the duration of her pregnancy. When the baby was born, his first words were, praise God, his name will be John, right? John the Baptist was born. He's the, the last prophet of the old covenant, the last one to say there's a redeemer coming. And guess what? He was the prophet that said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw it for himself. So John was number six. Guess who number seven was? 
Number seven, the number of completion, of perfection in Jesus. Is this promise amazing birth? The angel comes again, Gabriel, to announce the birth of a child to a virgin girl. She was betrothed to be married, but had not been with her husband. She conceives and has a son, and his name is called Jesus, right? He shall save his people from their sin. All of these amazing births are pointing us to this Savior. But Samson was one of those. He's in good company with the story of an amazing birth. Can you imagine the anticipation? This child that was announced by an angel is going to rescue the people of God. And then as he grows to become a teenager and all along the way, maybe his parents were like, I mean, hey, did we hear that angel right? I mean, because this kid is angry, (laughs) forceful, rebellious. And then he gets to be of age where he's looking for a woman and he's just like, go get me that woman. For she is right in my eyes. Well, that was the expression defining all the people who were rebellious against God. Even when his parents reminded him of his consecration to the Lord and that, you know, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 7, they say that as we come into the land, God's promised us we shouldn't take wives and husbands from the peoples. We're not supposed to do that, Samson. Samson says, but she's right in my eyes. Hmm. The next big highlight moment of Samson's life is obviously that he is strong, but where does his strength come from? He is spirit empowered. That's right. He's spirit empowered. If you look at the scriptures with me again in chapter 14, on the way to his marriage, he's on on his way to a wedding party. And uh, as he goes, he's attacked by a lion. Look with me at chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. It's pretty amazing. Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Now look at verse 6, and don't miss this detail. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I don't know how one tears a young goat, just to be honest. (laughs) I've never done that. But I would imagine the scriptures are are describing this picture of him just, I just have it in my mind, his hands in his mouth, and he's just sort of ripping this lion apart. And I'm thinking, this guy has nothing in his hands, and with his bare hands, he beats the, 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 the king of the jungle, if you will. How did he do it? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? That's what the Bible says. And this is not just a passing detail. It's actually the key to Samson's strength. At every point where he needed special power, he's given strength by the Spirit. Look with me. Chapter 13, verse 25 introduces this idea. It says the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. 14.6, we just read, he's strengthened by God's Spirit to fight a lion. 14.19, he's empowered to kill 30 men. 30 men in chapter 15, verse 14, when his own people fearfully betray him to the Philistines and they tie him up with fresh new ropes, they present him to the Philistines. And in that passage in chapter 15, verse 14, 
says, when they came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The ropes that were on his arms became as flax that caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put it uh, put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck 1000 men. 1000 men. Yes, you did hear that right. A thousand men he killed with the bone of a donkey. <laughs> How did he do that? Is it because he's so strong? He's, he's super powerful? Well, yeah, but where does his strength come from? The spirit of the Lord. Samson's given great strength. But I don't know if you notice, we haven't read this chapter, but in chapter 16 of his story, there is no mention of the spirit's power. Why is that? Well, it is because of what we'll call the next theme in Samson's story. Samson, like you and I, is also sin sick. He is sick, infected with the same disease we have in his own soul. He's rebellious. He doesn't want to serve God. He wants to be God. Like all of Israel, Samson struggled to honor God, even though he had been set aside. Remember, he's consecrated to God with a Nazarite vow from his birth. Numbers chapter six, if you want to read what a Nazarite vow is about. The Nazarite vow essentially consisted uh, of, of mainly three big rules. Number one, don't eat or drink anything from the vine. So no grapes, no raisins, no wine, no alcohol of any kind. Can't have any alcohol, no grapes, nothing from the vine. That's number one. Number two, can't touch anything dead. Don't touch or really be near anything dead. This was a big deal for a Nazarite because it meant that if their mother or father died, they weren't even allowed to go to the funeral. That's how strict it was. And then thirdly, and probably most notably, a Nazarite could not cut his what? That's right. The hair was the most visible sign of the Nazarite vow. He had uh, Samson. He had that, you know, uh, Chewbacca look about it. A bit of a, you know, Bigfoot type character. And in just these four chapters, we see Samson fail in every respect. Have you noticed? In every respect, he's failed. He goes to a wedding feast and indulges himself in the keg party. And then he uh, takes honey from inside that lion that he killed. There was a a bees hive that formed and there was honey inside that that lion, the carcass, really strange. But Samson puts his hand in there and eats from that honey, puts his hand inside the carcass of a lion. Now, that's gross, right? But it's also breaking a Nazarite vow. And then when he killed those thousand men, he did it with what? Jawbone of a donkey, more death that he touched, right? Yeah, so... He's breaking his vows to God at every turn. And then in chapter 16, we get to the most consequential breaking of the vow. It's where he finally gives in to the seduction of Delilah and she cuts off his hair. And it's this last failure to honor his vow to the Lord that seals the deal for him. 
Now look with me, if you will. Let's just read some of that story in the end. Chapter 16, I want us to read together from uh, verse 18. Chapter 16, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. That's an interesting phrase. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he's told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. They were paying her off. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and in and his strength. You might want to underline this or highlight in your Bible. His strength left him. That's interesting right there. His strength left him. Verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said to himself, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, look, we need to make a connection here, right? We've got that last verse, verse 20. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Go back up to verse 19. His strength left him. What was Samson's strength all along? The Lord. Now, many people would say, if I asked that question at the beginning of the sermon, I'd say, what made Samson strong? You'd probably think his hair, right? Because that's when he lost his hair, that was... But no, the hair was an outward sign of the covenant. It was the sign of the covenant that he had made with God. It was the public, uh, the public expression that I belong to God and it's God that is empowering me. And as soon as he shaved his head, the Lord was like, I will not let you be strong on your own. The Lord left him. Verse 21, and the Philistines seized him. And gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she took advantage. She took advantage. And here again, we see that the secret of his strength is not really in his hair. Is it? It's because the Lord had been with him. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That phrase, the Lord left him. What a frightening statement, right? Samson, though physically strong, was morally weak. A man who could stand and fight a thousand men crumbles at the knees of one woman. Just like Israel, just like us, he failed to keep his covenant promise to God. His sin made him a rescuer who also needed to be rescued. Sin, it's been said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you can ever pay. Ironically, that's a quote from Ravi Zacharias. In Samson's case, his spiritual weakness caused physical weakness. His spiritual blindness caused physical blindness. And his slavery to his sinful passions resulted in slavery to men. 
There's an old preacher who said of Samson, uh, I like this just because it rhymes. Sin binds you, sin blinds you, and sin grinds you. I thought that was good. Much of Samson's life was an epic failure, honestly. He did amazingly powerful things, which might should remind us that just because God empowers you doesn't mean God endorses you. Samson did not live within the boundaries of the vow that he had made to God. He was a broken savior. So one more theme of Samson's life is saving grace. God accomplished his work, didn't he? Isn't it amazing that the story of Samson's life is still a story of redemption? God is still rescuing the people from the Philistines. He accomplishes his work even through an arrogant, lustful brute of a man like Samson. God is able and gracious enough to use broken vessels to pour out his glory. That's good news for you and me, isn't it? And I love verse chapter 16, verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again. There had been utter failure in Samson's life. Utter failure. He'd given his whole heart to the enemy and it was costing him dearly. But our God is a redeeming God. He's a God of amazing grace and he can take a blinded, broken man and do great work for the kingdom. Samson's hair, the public mark of his covenant relationship with God Almighty, begins to grow again. And I believe this is the writer's way of saying Samson came to his senses with his eyes gouged out. He could finally see Samson begins to repent and return to the Lord. How do you know that? Well, the story goes on as the Philistines are throwing a party to celebrate their victory over Samson and Samson's God. They shouted, our God, Dagon, has given Samson into our hands. The lords and the leaders of the Philistines and thousands upon thousands of them gathered at the temple of Dagon. Samson's down grinding in the mill. but They bring him up to mock him, to use him for entertainment. The blinded Samson is being guided up into the temple and he talks to the young boy that's guiding him in. He says, would you just lean me against that that pillar there? Just lean me up against those two pillars. Well, the house was full, right? This temple is full of people, so full. The Bible says there were about 3,000 people gathered up on the roof. It was one of those parties where you'd say, you know, raise raise the roof. Um, wasn't in the notes, probably shouldn't have been in the sermon. But these guys, they're laughing, they're dancing, they're drinking, they're mocking Samson, mocking God. Samson is there. Just the stubble of his hair has begun to come back and he's leaned against the pillars. Read with me, if you will. Verse 28, chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God. 
that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. It's an interesting detail, isn't it? Do you see it? Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. I love that. He bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. The Bible goes on to say Samson judged the people for 20 years when he died. The final marker of Samson's journey is self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice. Samson's greatest act of deliverance as a judge in Israel came through his self-sacrificing death. In this one act, the Bible says he killed thousands of Philistines, destroyed their temple of idol worship. Samson is listed in the New Testament. Did you know this? In Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that we many call the, the hall of faith. Samson is remembered as a man of faith. He's one of the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 talks about. When you read the details of his life, you may be tempted to wonder how in the world this joker made the cut for the hall of faith, right? I mean, there are certainly more honorable deliverers, even among the judges, that are not mentioned in Hebrews 11. For example, Deborah was probably the most upstanding of character and of leadership among the people of Israel of the judges. But she gets no mention in Hebrews 11. Why Samson? Why Gideon? Barak and Jephthah? Why are they mentioned in Hebrews 11? I would suggest to you that it's because the hall of faith is filled filled. With failures. It's real people who really do struggle to obey and honor God. Maybe the hall of faith is less about the heroes, the the men and the women, and more about the great God in whom they believed. Samson's dying efforts were to honor the God who had strengthened him all his life. Maybe all his life was an absolute train wreck. But in those dying moments, he sought to honor the Lord. Did you notice the detail in verse 30 that in his death, he did more to deliver Israel than in all of his life? Wow. Now, it's especially in this moment. That we see Samson is more than just an Old Testament superhero. He's a type of Christ. He's pointing us to a coming rescuer that is truer and better than he is. Jesus. Like Samson, Jesus had a very special birth. He was promised by an angel and he was miraculously born of a virgin. And at his arrival... A choir of angels sang. He was perfectly sinless from birth. Jesus 
was born to save his people, much like Samson, but not just from an enemy outside themselves, but from sin, the greatest enemy within. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit of God. The Gospels tell of the Spirit descending on him at his baptism, that he worked mighty miracles in the power of the Spirit. Samson made promises to God in a Nazarite vow. Jesus is the yes and amen of all of God's promises. God keeps his promises to us in Jesus. Samson broke all his promises and God's laws. And yet Jesus fulfills them perfectly. Samson was a savior indeed, but infected with the same sin sickness as the people he was sent to save. But Jesus, the one righteous, sinless man. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Samson was proud and violent. Jesus, gentle and lowly. The presence and power of God left Samson because of his sin. Jesus was forsaken by God because of our sin. Samson was weak, fell to the temptation Jesus was strong, resisted temptation. Samson had an unlikely victory in his death. Jesus has unstoppable victory in his death and resurrection. Jesus also stretches out his arms and gave up his own life. Not to bring judgment on sinners, but to take the judgment due sinners. Samson's death pushed back the darkness of evil for a time, only for it to come roaring back stronger than ever before. But Jesus' death has won the final victory. From the cross, he said, it is what? Finished. And Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's just waiting on the Father to gather in all those who will believe. Then he will make all his enemies a footstool for his feet. Church, all the Bible is revealing to us who our God is and how he intends to save us. The story of Samson is no different. It's telling us who God is and of the Christ he sent to save us. So from Samson's life, we should see that every one of us, even the greatest among us, is a sinner. Every one of us. Even the human heroes in the Bible were sick with sin. No one can save himself. We all need a rescuer. Our sin has real consequences, the most devastating of which is to be separated from the presence of God. And listen, hear me. If you're not following Christ, this is the road you're on. It is an eternally terrible dead end. But... As with Samson, it's not too late for you. You've not gotten so far away from the Lord that he is unable to redeem you. How do I know? Because you're still here. We where sin abounds. Grace all the more. Don't be blinded by your sin. Open your heart to trust Christ alone. The Lord Jesus, 
He is the one who works wonders. Do you believe that? Just as Manoah and his wife worshipped and they gave an offering to the one who works wonders. That's Jesus. And he can work wonders in you. Anyone who calls out to him in faith will be saved. I'm not just talking about salvation one moment. Listen to me, Christian, believer, follower of Jesus. Listen, you who is who, who are playing with fire. Messing around on the Internet, looking at things you shouldn't look at, having those conversations you shouldn't have, doing those things you know you shouldn't do, but they are right in your eyes. You cannot play with fire and not get burned. Don't be seduced and manipulated by the enemy, no matter how pleasurable it seems. Delilah didn't love Samson. She used him. The end of the game, if that's the game you're playing, is no different. It's nothing there but pain and destruction. There's hope in Jesus. Jesus is the one who works wonders. He can do it in you. Turn to him. Trust him. Treasure Jesus alone. Let's pray.